Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Christopher Jason Bell here with Podcast Indie Beat, where we interview all of your new favorites, such as filmmakers, uh, critics, festival programmers, curators, that whole bag. All indie cinema people. So thank you again for checking us out. We're on the Playlist Podcast Network. And without further ado, here is your interview. Hi, so I'm here with Carolina Monaha. Perfect. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Excited to chat. Me too. So I I understand you have a background in dance, as you would say, um, which we'll get to. But I was curious, uh, where does cinema come in for you? Where do movies come in for you, like going back to childhood? Oh, yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and my dad and my mom were big uh, movie lovers and I've, I grew up with a very I would say like different type of um, a different way than most American kids probably grew up uh, point being that uh, my father is an environmentalist for the government of Brazil my mom is a university teacher and when I was very young um, my aunt married her best friend and her best friend uh, was dying of AIDS and he was a drag queen. So she married him because he wanted to be married before he died. And of course they were not in any kind of sexual relationship. It was just friendship. But what that did is that when he passed, um, he left me all of his drag clothes and quickly I knew I wanted to be some sort of a performer. So seeing that, my parents decided to immerse me in the world of movies and um, they didn't really care about, you know, what content I should or should not watch. I remember being six years old and watching Full Metal Jacket and watching um, Clockwork Orange and um, movies that probably people wouldn't show to their kids, but uh, they wanted to immerse me on things that was exciting me and movies that they thought were good. So... I became a a ballet dancer uh, at a very young age and was my profession for many, many, many years. And I've always said that if I wasn't a dancer, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, So I've always wanted to have something to do with films. I had the opportunity to work as an actress in some Brazilian soap operas and in other films, but I, I've always, in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, oh, wouldn't it be great to be a filmmaker? So that's how film comes to me, through through the arts. Were you making anything, like even really, really tiny personal things 
growing up or uh huh yes i i was um i had this little camera and every week i would invite my friends to my home i would go to their home so we could make movies and i could direct them um and thinking really outside of the box i I remember once showing one of these homemade videos to Teddy, um, Teddy, my husband, um, and I wanted to do this movie about an alien invasion and the way that my nine-year-old mind thought of creating um, a, like a, a spaceship was to zoom in into a star in the sky when it was night time and shake the camera so it looks like it was flying. <laughs> and I had some friend press play on some beautiful classical music and Teddy was blown away. <laughs> uh, Teddy's a filmmaker, so it made me feel really good. Um, so yes, yes, uh, we were creating pretty much every weekend with um, cameras. Have you ever thought about doing anything else with them? Kind of like, you know, w whatever, like putting them together or like repurposing them in some way? Because Teddy does that a lot. So I was curious if, you know, <laughs> you would do that. Yeah, like doing a truth of mine. Uh <laughs> no, I haven't even thought about them until now. So you are giving me a chance to think about them. Would you mind uh, filling in some people, like briefly, like what's going on in Brazil from your perspective? Right now, um, most people probably know we have a president that is very much mimicking the president of the United States. Um, our president is called Bolsonaro, and um, he is pretty much a fool like Donald Trump is, is um, creating the environment for people um, that are racist and have um, the ability and, and the wish to commit hate crimes to do so. Um, so it's a pretty scary time. Um, and just now we're talking a lot about the Amazon fires and I wouldn't necessarily particularly blame Bolsonaro for it. Um, he, but the way that he conducts himself on the news, it's not making it any easier for people to understand what's going on there as far as that. But what I find interesting is the way that Bolsonaro got into power was different than um, how Donald Trump got into power. Um, Brazil just became a democratic country in 1985. We were under the dictatorship, which our President Bolsonaro is very fond of. Um, so it's still a very young democratic country. And for the past pretty much 20 years or so, um, PT, which is the Workers' Party, has been in power. Um, and unfortunately, they have been a very corrupt um, group of presidents and Congress and senator people they're associated with that party and they really bankrupt the country, um, but created this image that they were actually giving everybody an opportunity and giving money to the poor and food to the poor when uh, it was irresponsibly done. And they were just had an agenda for how to enrich themselves. So now the president of the party, of the Workmen's Party, his name is Lula. He was our president for two terms. He's in jail. And um, the other president uh, from his party, Dilma, was uh, impeached. Um, and it's a bit chaotic right now. So 
So, you know, the the reason why I think that people elected Bolsonaro was because we couldn't deal anymore with, with the Workmen's Party and how they were bankrupting the, the, the government and, and the country and just 100 uh, percent stealing from people. Mm. But isn't concerning Lula in prison, isn't this part of like um, a, a, some sort of scandal? <laughs> yeah. It's called the Operation Lava Jato, the um, car wash. Right. I was going to say washing machine, and I was like, I'll just... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's pretty complex, but in in short, it all goes and it's nailed down to corruption and how they created systems on the back end of the government to steal money. Mm -hmm. From our biggest oil company that is owned by the government, it's called Petrobras, um, and we're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Um, it's pretty absurd. And the sad part is that people are trying to make it seem that it's all fabricated and that Lula is, you know, this is all fake news and that Lula is a victim when we have enough proof that it's not. And we need the support of the Supreme Court of Brazil to support investigations. And right now, the majority of them are all corrupt and trying to stop, uh, particularly this one minister, his name is Mogul, for uh, the justice um, minister, that is really trying to bring forward the truth and investigate people and the Supreme Court is stopping all types of uh, way of continuing his investigations. Yeah, and um, I like talking to you about this because I read an earlier interview and you come from a family of, I'll just say, politics. Um, and feel free to mm-hmm. go off with that. I'd say less politics but more activists. Um, yeah, the good politics. Yes, exactly. So, as I said, we became a democratic country in 1985, and um, my grandmother and my mother, um, they were very active in fighting the resistance to to make Brazil a democratic country. So, um, my grandmother was one of the key members of the resistance group that allowed us to become a democratic country. And when she was in her 60s, she got um, arrested by the military. She was tortured for many, uh, for like six months. And she is definitely someone that people know who she is in Brazil. And um, usually when people see my last name, Moneha, they they ask if I know of her. Uh, But the same way with my mom. I mean, I remember being in school and my mom not showing up to pick me up from school because she was arrested because she was um, doing some sort of demonstration somewhere or, um, you know, getting herself in trouble by trying to fight for the oppressed and, and for justice. To this day, I mean, she goes to a demonstration almost every weekend and we will WhatsApp, like, what is going to be her you know, what is she bringing to the demonstration or to um, uh, the places that she goes and it keeps her alive, but it's also, it keeps her really um, on 
like on the edge of her seat too. She she just sent me a message a week ago that she could barely even write a message to me because the government, you know, the Supreme Court was not allowing Mogo to keep the investigation going and how Brazil was going backwards. So it's something that is still very emotional and, and part of our lives for sure. From what I understand, your your grandmother was at was part of like a leftist movement. Um uh-huh. I I don't know if I'd be out of a bounds to assume like your mother is and you know, you are like, would you work with the, with the workers party? Would you like to start a, a new party? Yeah. I mean, I would say we're definitely from the left um, a long time ago. And I mean, even Lula, the president that is in jail now, I was a child that loved Lula. I remember being at an airport and Lula was there and I like, begged my mom so I could take a picture with him. Like we all believed in him. My mom voted for him the first um, time around and the second time around when he didn't get the presidency. Um, and then she voted again when he got the presidency. And then I was able to vote then too, like a, because I was like a voting age. And now we are completely distraught and heartbroken by how he was not the solve and a person will never be just one person being the solve. Right. But he definitely corrupted that workman's party. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, I don't know. I don't think she minds me saying this, but I mean, my mom voted for Bolsonaro because it was like literally anyone, but the workman's party, cause they are just destroying the country. And pretty much a lot of my friends, um, did the same, um, because of that. What is needed in Brazil now, it, it need, we need to clean the house. It's so much corruption. Um, it's the disparity of economics is, is just so grand. And I wouldn't say that I would start another party because mm-hmm. we have over 30 or 40 parties. I would say we should have just like five parties. And what's needed is allowing the government to have a a true criminal investigation on pretty much 90% of people that are in government. Are the, house. And I imagine it's the same kind of thing that whoever runs for office comes from a background of some sort of wealth. I know Lula didn't, uh-huh. but I imagine he, he ended up getting there as you're kind of yes. alluding to. Yeah, very shortly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, with anything in Brazil that works and if you have a a good job, it's usually because you came from wealth. It's very hard to um, get somewhere without it. Um, and you wouldn't have the opportunities, right? Like you've been seeing my family. They came from a very, my mom and my dad came from very poor, poor, poor families. And they were the first ones that went to college in their family. And I even remember they were able to buy a small apartment in Rio and that's where I grew up. And I remember growing up, not poor, but also not even middle class and having the time of my life where we would all sleep on a futon on the floor, my mom, my dad, my brother and myself. And because both of them worked their butts off, we were able then to get a different place and have an, you know, give us the opportunities to go to private schools because public school in Brazil, it's, it's unfortunately very, very bad. So 
you know, I was afforded that and my brother too, to go get an education and uh, because of the work of my family. But you see, just like United States too, I mean, you know, how people get into Yale and Harvard, not sometimes because of the work that they have done, but just who their family is. Feels so weird to talk about movies now, but <laughs> um, what was your first project as an adult? Were you acting in something? So once you come to the States, what is your first uh, foray into movies? Are you acting? Are you like writing something, directing, producing? No. So I moved to United States when I was 16. Um, because again, as I said, I was a dancer and I got invited to join this amazing dance company. So I came and I joined them and I danced with them for over a decade and danced with a lot of other um, companies. And that was my job, my, my life. Um, and movies didn't come to me in any form or shape until I met Teddy. So Teddy is my husband, the filmmaker Theodore Colagos, if people have seen or heard of him. Um, and I met Teddy in Chicago. He had gone to film school there, and that's where the dance company that I danced for was. And, you know, fair in love and just start to see how he's also very fearless about doing work and not asking permission to do work. Um, and I thought I could contribute with organization and things that I knew that maybe he needed help with. So I started to produce some of his short films. Um, so that was my first interaction with film, but even during that, um, I feel acting things fell on my lap by chance without me really searching for them and that's kind of how a lot of the acting things I've done in my life kind of happened I've never went out to be try to be an actress just through dancing you you have to know how to act a little bit um so I did some of that too but with film was 100% through Teddy your dancing background and all of your 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 performance in dancing the art of dancing how have you seen it kind of affect your work in movies like from producing and, and acting and directing? Have you seen anything rub off or like you think of it in a certain way? 100% it's all correlates to it. So as a dancer, I was one of the soloists. So like one of the principal dancers for the dance company I danced for. And I was also the rehearsal director. So that teaches you how to direct people, how to direct egos, how to organize uh, a season, um, how to cast. Um, and then I was very involved too with like talking to the board of directors of the company. So, you know, that helps you and teaches you on how to, um, how to identify how you communicate the artistic process with people that hold money and budget. Um, so that's why when I, I was with, I 
I met Teddy and I was seeing like, he's doing everything by himself. I said, Oh, you know, great example. So his movie Dipso, I produced it. We needed to shoot something at a jail. And I was like, okay, let's figure out how to talk to the mayor of the town so we can shoot in the jail. And that's something that it just comes from like being in a dance company that you have to, you are not afraid to communicate with, you know, mayors or sometimes I've met presidents. Um, so that definitely helped in the logistical sense. And then for acting, I mean, as a dancer, um, I was a ballet dancer for a pretty big company in Brazil and we had to study the Stanislavski technique as part of our curriculum and coming to the United States, I joined a contemporary modern dance company. So a lot of the work, you know, went beyond what you would imagine of this of Swan Lake and the Sleeping Beauty. It were stories that talked about the social issues of nowadays. So you, you're acting, a part of the performance is acting. Um, so that definitely helped with not being shy in front of the camera um, and supported me on casting people for our uh, films. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people you see in our films are come from the dance world. So like in Tormenting the Hand, Brian Brooks, um, me and I, we have been dancing, we were dancers together for like good like 12 years. Um, Damika, the person who plays my girlfriend, she's also a dancer and she comes from the dance world. So, um, a lot of the people that we've casted are from my dance background too. You mentioned, um, tormenting the hand and basically like most of the cast. Um, can you talk about what that was like? Cause you not only <laughs> acted in it, but you really shepherded it to the end. I mean, you know, of course, Teddy was a obviously big part of it as well. But um, you also did a lot of heavy lifting there. Tormenting a hen was a beautiful experience and I'm very tormenting, too, <laughs> <laughs> for myself and Teddy. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, and he talked about it on your show already. Like, we had six days to shoot. We had no budget. We had no crew. But we had an awesome location. Um, and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong on a six-day shoot. So it created a lot of stress. And it was, you know, a testament, I guess, to me of, like, who am I as an actress in this project, as a producer? So I have to take care of the cast and make sure that they feel heard and comfortable and good. And then who am I as the wife, too, to Teddy, who, you know, at times is having a nervous breakdown for a good reason because... A lot of things were going wrong. And that to me is living and that's life. It's when everything goes wrong, but you're doing something that you love and you just go with the punches and you put into perspective and you bring people together for a greater cause of creating art that is not about just boy meets girl and then boy leaves girl and then grows upset. You know, we all truly believed on the message of the film. We were excited to be uh, part of the storytellers of the message of the film and society and judgment. So it was an intense few days. I do remember one low point. Um, one night we finished filming the uh, pool scene and it was late at night and 
probably 2 a.m. and we have to start shooting again like at 7 a.m. And I now have to make sense of all of the shots and scenes that we haven't been able to shoot because of various reasons. And I had a little moment of being feeling piggy for myself, you know, crying on the corner, just like everybody gets to sleep, but I'm not going to sleep, Teddy, because I need to do this shot scene for tomorrow. And, and Teddy just took the script from my hand and started ripping pages. And he said, you know, those are just fillers. You know, it would be cut anyways here. I mean, you just threw a bunch of like maybe 20 pages from the script out. It's like, we'll continue on with the shoot as we had planned for tomorrow, come to bed. And I went to bed and we never shot those scenes and it's totally fine that we didn't shoot those scenes. So it was, it was really fun. Um, I kind of, I wish I could relive all over again um, because I had a lot of fun and it was very emotional. And I think all the emotions just supported with all the emotional wreckness of all of our characters that, you know, we all had to be this intense kind of crazy people at times. So you supported with that. Yeah, it was definitely a whirlwind. Um, <laughs> I'd love to see that like behind the scenes uh, documentary about tormenting the hand that doesn't exist, but it doesn't. I mean, we were just trying to find chickens. I mean, finding chickens was really hard. Once we found some chickens, I remember we were shooting on Teddy's parents' um, place, and his mom told me the only thing you can't have it happen is for the chickens to poop on the carpet. I was like, don't worry. I'm not going to let that happen. Trust me. <laughs> the moment we take the chickens out of their carriers, they are pooping everywhere on the carpet. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm letting my mother-in-law down. And I know this really matters to her. So we spent the night cleaning chicken poop from the carpet after we shot. That's filmmaking in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it earlier that you liked that Teddy would not wait for permission. He would just do something, and um, I know you're like that, too. And if I can kind of connect that, I really love how you both just make things work. You problem-solve, because if I think about what I really love about um, making films, there's like a, a, a large portion of it is problem solving. And that could mean a lot of things, but it's trying to like take what you have and then making it work. And I see that mm -hmm. you two do that a lot. And I really appreciate that all of the things that happened in tormenting the hen, one of you could have been like, you know what, let's, let's pack it in and we're not going to do this film, but you did it. And not only did you like see it through, through many other problems, but it's really great. Oh, thank you. And I feel the same way about you. I mean, that amount of, the amount of work that you produce and you put out, and I know that you don't have a big millionaire supporting you <laughs> creating your films. I mean, you're in the same work and, and like you inspire us. It's having people like you around that really you know, those moments that you do want to have the piggy party of like, oh, if we only had this and if we only had that, um, that it brings it to perspective. But what we do have is the privilege to even be able to make films in whatever capacity and and have the ability to, to show stories that usually are not being told. Um, so thank you. Kudos to you because we all need each other to keep going and 
creating um, and being fearless and, and putting into perspective of there is an audience. There will always be an audience for the films we are making. Yeah, I was actually talking to Teddy about this maybe even today, but or maybe yesterday, doesn't matter, um, about how there definitely is an audience. There definitely are people that are similar to us, but, man, it's just so hard to find people. It's hard to connect with people. Everyone's so kind of, they're there, but, you know, it's hard to reach people. I don't know what your experience has been like um, traveling with the films. Like, what has your experience been like at festivals and screenings and more so like meeting people? It actually has been wonderful. (laughs) I mean, I'm always um, a bit nervous when I go into a new festival. And I think that just this year with Queen of Lapa showing in so many different places, I finally allowed myself to to release of expectations to release of ego and just truly be in for the experience and it makes me really realize that what we've done is important that it's changing people's lives and in a sense of like for instance with queen of lapa i mean so many people that are doing important work um, in different places of the world to support the LGBTQ community have felt inspired by the film and they want to show the film to their organizations because they think it's going to be of help and support to their members or to um, has inspired them to continue on in the work that they're doing or I mean I remember at Maryland we showed the film at Maryland Film Festival this year and we were online to watch another movie and we were just buying some water or something and this couple um heterosexual couple stops us and this guy young guy that you would imagine that was in a movie theater to watch a hollywood movie said to us like i watched your film i can't stop thinking about the film i googled um, the main character of the film and i'm and he was like theories like it just it changed my life so it was so impressive to see people that I would never imagine that would come watch this documentary. They came and it had that effect on them. And I know in my life, work, film work or music or art or dance that I have found because whatever way I found that has significantly changed me to my core, to who I am, to the decisions I make as a person, as a citizen, as a, a person of the world, like those works I carry on, they're impacting me forever. So I think films, they will learn about the films. I think we just can't be stingy and we need to put it out there. And if meaning putting it out there is not the beautiful version that we think of, of like, oh, it's on Netflix or it's on, I don't know. You know, having a theatrical tour, that's fine, but we can't be stingy with the the work that we do. We have to put it out there and let, let people find it too. No, I agree with that. I'm very much about having things open so that people, if they're looking, they'll find it. They'll be able to watch it because nothing is a bigger drag to me than finding some filmmaker 
who's made something that I think would very much appeal to me and I cannot access it. And I either can't contact them or if I do, you know, because of, you know, such and such reasons, I can't see it. And uh, that's such a bummer. And I would hope to not have that happen um, with my own work. So very much the thing would be like the unfortunate part is that if you're not on Netflix, you're missing a lot of people for it to just be there. But on the flip side, there's so much on Netflix that someone might not even find it to begin with. Exactly. And also I think that the behavior of how people watch entertainment is changing rapidly, Uh, especially with Gen Z coming up. Um, you know, I would say I have a lot of friends that don't even own a TV and they get a kick out of finding new obscure sites that um, it's not mainstream to watch different things. So I think even if it's on a Vimeo, um, if it's on like an Amazon, people will find it. Um, and the good thing is that the behavior of people are changing to be more successful to be finding things outside of the mainstream uh, channels. So your friends are watching on their computer or on their phones? On computer. Yeah, no, it's interesting, right? Because these are not film people. They're not film people at all. Uh, They're not even in arts. They are just people that decided that they don't want to pay for cable. And if they have internet and they have their computer, they can see the whole world through the computer. I mean, that's true. Yeah, that kind of, that warms my heart, definitely. Let's move on to Queen of Lapa. And this is your newest project. It is touring the circuit currently. Um, For the uninitiated, can you briefly tell the audience what the film is about? So Queen of Lapa is a documentary about a safe house in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, for roughly 32 trans sex workers. And the person who runs that house, her name is Luana Muniz, and she is a trans sex worker herself and a pretty big activist, um, someone that really has implemented changes for how Brazil deals with sex workers and the trans community. And can you tell us a little bit about how you went to go start production or like how you met your subject my whole family lives in brazil and teddy being married to me has been to rio de janeiro countless times and just one particular time we were there we were spending two months in rio and teddy was doing um a photographic body of work of the streets of rio he takes photos and the street where my mom lives is adjacent to the neighborhood to where this hostel, basically this safe house is. So since I was a child, I would go back home from school and see a lot of these trans sex workers on the streets starting like at 6 PM offering their business. So to me seeing these women with very um, explicit outfits was the norm. 
So Teddy being there and seeing that, he's like, I have to take pictures of them. This is so interesting. And more interesting is how people don't really think of it. They just, families are walking by it and everybody's living in such a peaceful way. So we went to search to see who was the person in charge of the block. And through many, many, um, not many, many months, it was actually two months. <laughs> so through two months of research, we found out it was Luana. And then we learned more about Luana and felt so incredibly inspired by what she had created in that community and to Brazil uh, in general in her past. We were able to find out where she lived and wanted to get in touch with her, but she didn't want to meet with us. Uh, so we were a little bit heartbroken. The reason why she didn't want to meet with us is because she was tired of all of the exploitive work that the media throughout the world has um, made of her. So like BBC, even Vice has done things with her and they always very much show her in a exploitive light and she she knows that so she didn't want to meet with us and we sat at a cafe near her house and um we printed some of teddy's photographic work and i wrote a letter a hand handwritten letter to her and i backed her doorman to put under her door so he did that and that same night i got a call uh, at my mom's house from Luana. And she said, I saw your letter and I saw your work. I want to talk to you. Come, come see me. So we went back to her house and the moment that we met, we we just really clicked together and we spent four hours that night just talking and watching old videos of her performing. Um, and then we had her blessing to to do some work with her and knowing more about the house we said this needs to be a film instead of photographic work and she said okay you have my blessing so we came back to united states to uh, get some money to do the film we applied to various grants we were finalists um, on a lot of really amazing grants and we got no money uh, no grants and then 2016 comes about and I work uh, for a company that was doing something with the Olympics and they are taking me to Brazil to, to do some work during the Olympics. So Teddy and I were like, okay, you know, I'm already going there. Let's, let's just do it. Um, we know a lot of people in film that can support us in other ways. So one of our friends gave us this amazing camera to use for the shoot and someone else gave us an amazing sound system um and then we had one small little grant that came from a private donor that really believed in the project to like just basically take teddy down to brazil and that's how it happened so you were going to do this anyway but were was the lack of kind of support in the states frustrating very much. Yeah. I mean, we spent five years in between the first meeting with Luana to filming was five years. And it was disheartening. <laughs> like, what? Why, why can't we? Why don't people want to fund this great 
story about someone so incredible and and you know we we have shown that we can make movies so yeah and then again you know you don't ask for permission you just do it uh, and there are ways to do it so that's how we like whatever kick it let's just do it and i'm so glad that we did we have gotten grants in the past for other films and yeah i don't i maybe we're just really bad grant writers but we did show <laughs> our uh, grant writing to a lot of people in the industry and they gave notes and who knows you know who knows what is the quota that they have to fill for what types of project um so that's still a mystery to me how to i don't understand how some people just get grant after grant after grant and um that's excellent for them so i hope someone there knows let us know what's the secret sauce yeah yeah help us out <laughs> yeah I mean, the thing about that kind of stuff that always made me nervous was that it seems like almost like roadblocks to prevent you from making work where like you spend so much time putting together this application and then there's no return. And you knew there wasn't going to be a return, but it's like all that energy could have been spent working on something that you can do. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And then in the same token, we have access to cameras, right? And we knew that we wanted to do this film very much in the realms of direct cinema. So there were some other people that wanted to help with the film, like some production companies, and they wanted to do a big old spectacle of the thing and completely against our values. So I guess we could have had, we could have had some production companies help with funding, Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we were very turned off by their ideas of the documentary, right? Like if you're going, we are not going to exploit these people, just letting them be. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would have never wanted to, I I never, never want to do a documentary where I hear people say sometimes when they do documentaries that they have to do a retake of a scene. I, I, morally don't understand how that's that's right Mm. you either have the scene or you don't have the scene in my opinion um so i really wanted to respect the characters and and let them speak for themselves shooting that you have very little money and it's just you and teddy now teddy is doing the camera and you are doing the sound and that's it yes and Mm -hmm. He does speak a little bit of the language, but I remember him saying that their the way they spoke was very hard for him to keep up with. And yeah. was it, it difficult for you as well? Yes, at times. I mean, there is very specific slang that they use that I'm not familiar with. Um, so even when we were, I was helping translate or we had a, a, a dream person that really helped us translate all of the footage we didn't know what this slang meant. And it's not something that you can just Google on the internet. Like what does this slang means? Because it's very peculiar to that one like community. Um, so I often had to ask the girls on WhatsApp, like what does that mean when you say this? So yeah, at times I didn't know what you were talking about, <laughs> even <laughs> though I speak Portuguese, but um, the good thing is that from day one, we, 
you know, they were surprised that we were not asking them to do interviews. And we told them, we are not going to do interviews with you. you we're not going to even interact with you. We're just here. And you give what you research, you give, no, you receive what you give, right? So they, they saw that we were genuine about it and we were trusting. And after maybe eight hours of filming on day one, they were just offering and offering and we all became very close and, and good friends. And I feel like half of them fell in love with Teddy. Um, they would tell me like, ah, oh, does he have a brother? Can we <laughs> like have someone with blue eyes like that? Um, <laughs> it was was cute. Were you helping him kind of figure out what to focus on in particular, since you were able to keep up with the language better? At times, yes. I also think that what makes the film really interesting is that at times the camera is focused seen on someone that is not speaking and there is a big action going on and you're seeing the reaction of someone else to what's happening and I I wanted to keep Teddy's instincts um, alive because he's such an incredible cinematographer um, as well but at times when I knew that something needed to be shot I we had some signals that would give each other and he would follow my lead on where to go or when to stop. I'm tempted to say that you two were doing a little dance while you were shooting. I mean, it is kind of like a weird, like coordinated thing between you and him kind of being the only crew members and trying to get as much as possible in a very like active environment. Yeah. And in an environment that it could go, could become very dangerous very soon. Right. I mean, we, the one thing they ask is like, don't shoot the, the clients. We're like, we, again, we have no interest in shooting the clients. It's about like your day to day, but sometimes clients get violent. Sometimes violence occurs. Um, so at times there, there was a little bit of a moment where we're like, oh, oh shit, like we need to be careful here. Um, when we shot a few scenes outside, I asked um, my good friend, Filippi, uh, Filippi Quadra, um, my high school friend, to come and just be around us. He's tall, <laughs> just be with us. <laughs> and I remember in one instance, um, it was very clear that a man that had very bad intentions towards us was coming and it was probably going to rob us or hurt us. And, you know, I told Teddy, we have to run and hide at a bar right now. And, and he looked at me just like, really? And he looked at Felipe and Felipe's like now, and we all ran and we hid and, and we were fine. So, there were just a few moments like that that kept you to um, to the edge of our seat of like, okay, like things can go wrong easily. And we know that people are watching us. And we also knew that Luana had put the word out that we were around and not to mess with us to the criminals in the area. Um, so I, I, I kind of feel like nothing happened to us because of that reason. Because um, mm. I find... 
unlikely that I mean people knew they saw us with the camera like why did people not not rob us still a mystery to me that's so fascinating every other movie sounds so boring like this is like so interesting I know you guys are probably similar where you'll go about your day and probably have ideas for movies or see a person be like you know this person would be very interesting um I wonder what their movie is do you have more movies you think in in this with all these other people who are in the documentary like can you see another thing coming out of this yeah yeah i mean we definitely want to use one of the girls not use cast one of the girls um in the from queen of lapa in a movie it's just difficult with getting um like the movie would be shot in the united states so it would be difficult to get them here but not impossible uh, but she's definitely an inspiration for us um but yeah i think like next uh the next movie is probably going to be a narrative not a documentary seems like that's how we do it we go narrative documentary to narrative um but who knows um is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to no other than just I don't know when this is going to come up, but if people in New York want to watch the film Queen of Lapa, it's going to be showing at New Fest um, on October 26th at 7 p.m. So it's an opportunity to, sh- to see the film. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk to you. I'm a big fan of your work and what you're doing. And you're truly building community in the independent cinema community and it's necessary to to exist and it makes us part of the community excited to to have a voice and to be a part of something that we we honor and trust and you are part of that uh, that realm of people so thank you oh thank you that was so nice it's like the nicest thing i've heard in a really long time thank you um so where can people find more of your work and keep up with you? Well, for Queen of Lapa, you can go to queenoflapa.com um, and learn more about the film. And if not that, just keep following us on brokenhorsefilms.com um, to learn more about our next projects. Okay, awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you. It's been awesome. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Have a great night. You too. Peace.